Good evening, everyone. Last week, we began discussion of public health advancements, and also some declines. This week, though, we'll stay in the medieval era, but talk through some knowledge gained as a result of disease epidemics. In the modern era, scientific advances have allowed us to make many sicknesses far less common than they once were, and some infections have even been eradicated entirely. Unfortunately for our ancestors, diseases were very prevalent in the medieval era, and unfortunately they did not have the tools that we do today. Protective measures were taken based on medical and religious ideas in combination, and in particular were a response to two ailments. The first disease that is to shape public health is leprosy. You've probably heard of leprosy, but it's rather unlikely you've seen it. This is a disease that is much more rare in the modern era. It causes severe disfiguring skin sores on the body, as well as nerve damage, and in medieval times was an incredible source of fear, probably because of its very visible nature and terrible symptoms. It was recognized fairly early on that something needed to be done, but of course doctors of the time had no idea it was caused by bacteria, and certainly no idea how to cure it. Out of this need to do something, the community often feels justified in restricting individuals to protect the public as a whole, and leprosy contributed to this idea of isolation. Since doctors had little to offer on the issue, anti-leprosy efforts were actually led by the church. In the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Leviticus, a number of physiological processes are deemed unclean, and people suffering from those unclean processes are supposed to be isolated from everyone else. While leprosy itself isn't directly mentioned, other skin conditions are, which lay the basis for the idea of isolating lepers, or people afflicted with leprosy. In 583, the Council of the French city Lyon restricted the association of lepers with healthy people, a policy that was to spread fairly quickly. In 644, the Lombard king issued an edict requiring the isolation of lepers. Generally, lepers were relegated to their own houses in order to keep them separated from everyone else. By the 1200s, there were about 19,000 so-called leper houses scattered around Europe. To the scared masses, lepers were a menace, and therefore expelled to protect everyone else. Since at the time leprosy was incurable, this meant essentially that lepers were outcast until they died. A very terrible fate. At the very least, this decision was not taken lightly. Usually a special council of religious leaders, barbers, doctors, and a leper, as uh, an expert, I guess, would convene and diagnose people with leprosy. However, if you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were basically dead, and society treated you as such. A funeral ceremony was usually performed, and then the poor patient was escorted to a leper house, never to be heard from again. Lepers were forced to wear specific clothes to mark themselves as such, and required to warn of their approach to other people, with a horn, a clapper, or a rattle. They were especially forbidden from public spaces, like marketplaces, inns, or taverns, and sometimes were not even allowed to get haircuts. At some very specific times of year, like around Christmas and Pentecost, lepers might be allowed out in public to beg for alms, but it's not like this makes up for all the other terrible treatment whatsoever. I can't really commend medieval societies for their terrible treatment of lepers, especially given that leprosy is actually not all that contagious. But given that they didn't know better and they had no solutions, I can't really blame them for casting out lepers either. This kind of mass isolation, though, is the first large effort of its kind to isolate diseased individuals to prevent the spread of diseases, which is a practice we still use today. 
This technique of isolation, though, was to be refined in response to the bubonic plague, which we've already covered in our literal first episode. If you remember, bubonic plague is a terrible, extremely visible disease, which has caused immense harm to people for centuries. In the Middle Ages, there were two major pandemics of plague, and many smaller outbreaks as well, which in total killed hundreds of millions of people globally. Unsurprisingly, panic was often the first response to an outbreak of bubonic plague, and many would try to flee. Not everyone, though. If you'll recall in this era, many people would have considered the plague to be divine punishment, and so turned to prayer and penance as treatments. Generally, though, plague was considered to be communicable, and so isolation was applied as a public health tool against the plague as well. The process began with patients being reported to the authorities for detainment. Patients were then examined and isolated in their houses for the duration of the illness. Everyone who had come into contact with the patient was compelled to remain in isolation too. Food and other necessities were provided by the government through special messengers. Much of this might sound familiar, since this episode is being recorded in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic lockdowns. Medieval folks also took a couple more steps, though. The dead were passed through windows and removed from the city in carts, where they were buried. Burial outside the city was meant also to prevent spread. Not only that, but when a patient died, the rooms were aired out, and then belongings of the deceased were all burned, much of which is kind of unnecessary. But again, they didn't know any better. Isolation of specific cases of disease inside cities was not the only measure taken. Since no effective cures existed, prevention was key. And so outsiders and their possessions, under any suspicion of carrying plague, were isolated and carefully observed for long periods of time, which is essentially the practice of quarantine. These measures were first taken at Venice, the main port of trade in Europe to Asia. Based on the belief that plague was transmitted via shipping goods, the Venetians set up a system for segregating entire ships from the others. In 1348, a council of three men was established with the job of isolating suspected ships, people, and goods. They actually set aside an entire island in the lagoon just for isolating potential sources of infection. Other cities began to pick up the practice as well, and isolation of suspected sources of infection for 40 days became a standard of sorts, which is actually where the word quarantine comes from. Quaranta is the Italian word for 40. Interestingly, 40 days became a standard because a weird mix of scientific and cultural reasons. At the time, 40 days was considered the cutoff between an acute illness and a chronic illness. 40 days is also an important length of time in the Bible. The Great Flood, for example, meant to cleanse the earth of evil, lasted for 40 days. Finally, in the study of alchemy, 40 days was considered the necessary period of time for some transmutations, or converting one material to another. Regardless, quarantining became a widespread and genuinely effective tool in the fight against diseases during the medieval era. The last major advance in public health I'll talk about that occurred during the Middle Ages was the rise of hospital systems. We mentioned that crude early hospitals were developed under the Romans, but in the Middle Ages, the ideas of hospitals really starts to pick up steam. In the East, hospitals were created by rulers and public officials in cities, in the tradition of the Romans. Muslim rulers in modern-day Iraq founded hospitals in Baghdad as early as the 800s. These hospitals were well-organized and began teaching medical students. In 1283, there was a hospital in Egypt which had separate sections for different kinds of patients, special rooms for women, and both male and female nurses, which feels remarkably modern to me. Over in the west of Europe, hospitals instead came from the church. 
Monasteries often had a section dedicated to treating the sick, which are nothing quite like modern hospitals, but hey, they're working on it. Until the 1100s, these were the main Western European method for taking care of sick folks. In the year 1145, the Holy Ghost Hospital was founded, though, which eventually grew into a network of hospitals, all supported by the church. Hospitals were also created during the Crusades for the purpose of treating holy soldiers, which meant that I I guess something good came out of the Crusades. Wealthy people in cities also began paying for the construction of hospitals, both to benefit themselves and also as status symbols. Can't call yourself rich if you haven't built a hospital or two, right? By the 1500s, Europe was covered with a network of hospitals created by a mix of religious institutions and wealthy citizens, and many specifically meant to take care of lepers. So that wraps up the Middle Ages as far as we're concerned. We've now gotten some public water and cleaning regulations, quarantining as a concept, and a much larger network of hospitals all over the place. Next week, we'll start talking about public health developments that showed up during the Renaissance years. As always, thank you for lending me your ear. If you like what you hear, let me know with the links in the show notes, or leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Thanks also to my editor, Jojo Tang, my cover artist, Angie Lee, and Muse Open for this music. <laughs>